Welcome to the Pesky Report, episode 310. We are brought to you by Beyond the Monster. My name is Jake T. O'Donnell. I am uh, filling in, hosting the uh, midweek show. It's the last sort of official midweek show during the 2023 season. Your Boston Red Sox are going to, I believe, are now guaranteed to finish with a below 500 record this year um, after getting swept in a massive two-game series with the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, I am joined by the podfather himself, Brad Chandler. What's good, Brad? Not the Red Sox. Not the Red Sox, now. And we are happy to be joined by Sam, uh, at Red Sox Sam underscore on Twitter slash the X app. Sam was, uh, I believe this is uh, their second time on the show. Uh, it was on about maybe about a year ago. So we're excited to have Sam back to, to chat Red Sox as the season wraps up. What's going? What's going on, Sam? Yeah, no, I'm really excited to be back. I wish it was under a little bit better circumstances, but I mean, I'm ready to talk socks, man. Yeah, we love that's what we do here. That's what we enjoy doing here. Um, so the Red Sox uh, got beat in two games, the final two games of the home slate. The Red Sox had a pretty lousy season, a lousy home record. They had a lousy season in general, but the Red Sox sort of uncharacteristically played really poorly at home this year. I'm sure that the bad weather. Uh, in the Northeast didn't really help. They they uh, lost kind of a slugfest yesterday. Uh, I didn't watch the game. Uh, on, when I say yesterday, I mean on Tuesday. I didn't uh, watch that game. It was actually within the walls of Fenway Park last night, but I was not uh, watching the game. I was at a concert. Um, I was seeing uh, Boy Genius play at MGM at the MGM Grand. So um, so I was I was there. I, it was funny. I was standing outside and I could hear like I heard when Emmanuel Valdez hit his home run. That was kind of cool, like to be outside and hear that. Uh, whatever but um so there it was uh it was a fun night last night um not necessarily in the ballpark and then tonight um the red Sox just got blanked by uh by by, by the rays it's just been it's you know they get a bunch of offense one night no offense the next night the games don't matter it's just uh it's just about uh um you know, next year at this point, but I guess I'll open up to both of you, uh, Sam, any, any thoughts, any takeaway from these last two games, anything that stood out to you? It kind of has been a microcosm of the whole season. The first game you have Tanner Houck who can't pitch through more than a couple of innings and gives up a ton of runs. And then the second game, the offense randomly goes cold for no reason. So it's the bad pitching and weird sporadic offense that have kind of been the issue all year. Um, at this point, you're playing for pride and draft lottery points. So it's what can you do? So they need to just lose out. I that's probably best for the draft pick. I don't know about morale for next season. Like especially with what happened with Kenley today. I know we're going to get to that later, but I I I don't know, man. Team morale seems pretty low already. Yeah, they, there's just been ever since the bloom firing. I just don't really feel like the team has been, has really had their heart in a lot of these games. Like they've won like literally just like a couple of games. Like they had that game last Friday at Fenway. That was a fun game. Um, you know, that the Barbie night and everybody showed up and it was like a lot of people at the ballpark, which was fun. And they won that game. They came back eighth inning and crowd really was into it. Like that was good. Everything since then has pretty much sucked. I mean, like it was a, a you know, really rainy weekend and, day off Monday and um but yeah at this point like so as far as the the draft 
thing goes, if you go to tankathon.com slash MLB, which is like a website that they, they figure out all the draft stuff for all the different sports. I think it really started as like an NBA site and they added to other sports as time went on right now. The Red Sox have the 12th best odds, um, for, <coughs> excuse me, for the draft lottery, which means they only have a 1.1% of getting the first overall pick. It is possibility. They basically are, um, excuse me, they're about two and a half games behind Cleveland for the 11th spot or two and a half games ahead, however way you want to look at it. Um, probably the that's maybe the the worst that they could do, I guess. Well, I guess technically Pittsburgh and Detroit are also ahead of them. If you look at that site, the list, Washington is at 10th, but they, because of the fact that they had a top six pick last year and the, and the size of their market, they're not allowed to have a pick in the top nine. And then the other factor that's interesting here is that if the, the Mets or Yankees, sorry, the Mets, Yankees and Padres all have to have their pick end up in the top six or otherwise because they were so far over the luxury tax this year if they if their pick is outside of the top six it gets moved back 10 spots so that's helpful the, the only one of those teams that's ahead of the red sox in the standings right now for the for the for this is um is new york or the mets so the yankees and and uh uh padres are officially behind them um, so there's, just, there's a lot to keep track of there. It's it's hard to say exactly. I don't know how the Red Sox have potential that they could move up a few more spots um, between now and the end of the season, maybe potentially to potentially as many as two or three, but they pretty much have to lose out and other teams would have to win. So it's, it's hard to say. Um, but yeah, that doesn't, I, I totally agree with what you said, Sam, that it doesn't help with, <laughs> doesn't help with, with team morale and like, you know, Guys, people, teams, you know, players wanting to come here next year, like that kind of thing, or people wanting to come back, like that kind of thing. I don't know. Um, so, so there's there's a there's a lot there's a lot going on uh, in that regard. I think that just the takeaways from these couple of games, it was really nice to see both Willie Abreu and Emmanuel Valdez have good games at the plate on Tuesday. The guy who traded for them is no longer employed by the team, but that trade looks like it's going to pay dividends for the red sox going forward um i also thought that brian bale wasn't like awful tonight he gave up some weak contact he gave up a home run late it doesn't line doesn't end up looking very good goes five and two-thirds gives up five runs but um compa- i think if this this would probably be his last start of the year because there's only four games left i don't think this was a necessarily a bad note for him to go out on if he had gone out uh after the way he pitched in texas that would be that would have been a really bad way to go into the off season for him. I think that he goes into, into the off season with maybe on a little bit of a slightly more positive note. Um, and I think like, maybe we could talk about him a little bit. Like we look at bright spots this year. I know that Bayo, like his final season numbers aren't going to look like spectacular, but I think it's a huge step forward knowing that you have that guy in your rotation and he's cheap. Maybe you could work on an extension with him. Uh, Sam, what's your, your thoughts about either this bayout start and kind of as his season kind of wrapped up in general. I think specifically for this Bayo start and the previous one, it's just a matter of he's gassed. I mean, he's at 155 innings right now. Last year he pitched 57 in the bigs and I think right around 80 in triple a. So it's, I understandably he's at the point where he's getting tired. I think next year we should expect the gap or should expect him to take that leap into the next tier of pitcher. I would absolutely start talking about an extension if it hasn't started already. 
I don't know who we're going to end up getting as a GM, but I think that that has to be either priority one or priority two with Cassis. Yeah. Brad, what do you think? Yeah, I definitely agree with Sam. Um, Bayo has shown uh, that he, he, you know, you've got guys like Pedro talking good about him, saying that he's going to be like the next Pedro or even better. So like Sam said, uh, it might be time to start thinking about uh, extension. Yeah, I, I'm, I definitely agree. Um, and I think let's, let's, you know, we've talked about these, these couple of games enough. Let's talk about the, the Kenley Jansen thing. And then let, and then let's get into kind of like what we want to see from maybe the GM search. And then what we want to see this off season in terms of the, the players that, that need to come in to sort of turn the ship around a little bit. So, um, Kenley Jansen went on Rob Bradford's podcast. I didn't listen to the whole thing, but there was a um, there was a sort of a choice quote that was going around where he was, you know, and I'm I'm sort of paraphrasing here. I, I'm just reading like maybe not the entire quote, but basically, he said that we do have a great team, and if we would have had a couple starters at the deadline, we wouldn't be talking about this right now. We would be playing in a wild card game right now. So. Um, he's obviously referring to the fact that the Red Sox did not add any starting pitching at the trade deadline. Um, they added a couple of minor, you know, a couple they added three relief arms in the week before the deadline. And then right at the deadline, all they added was Luis Urias. So um, I understand. So, and there's, I'm sure there's more to what he said. Kenley's frustrated. Clearly it's like the, one of the first times in his entire career, possibly the first time in legitimately his entire career that he hasn't, he's not going to the playoffs. So I completely understand his frustration and I understand player frustration when it comes to guys not making, you know, the front office, not making moves at the trade deadline and to do things. But I also feel like the players only have like part of the story. They don't know exactly what's happening behind the scenes. Um, one thing that we've seen is that in the last two months since the trade deadline, not a lot of, of not many of the pitchers who were traded at the trade deadline, starting pitching wise, really moved the needle very much for teams. Um, Jordan Montgomery has been great for and and um, you know and and uh, and Justin Verlander has been great. Those are probably really only the the only two that have been like bona fide starting pitchers that got traded that have been like consistently really good. But you go down the line and you look like Jack Flaherty got moved to the bullpen. Michael Lorenzen threw a no hitter, but then he got moved to the bullpen. Uh, Max Scherzer got hurt. Um, you know, uh, Aaron Savali hasn't really been that good for the Rays. And they obviously the Rays ended up giving up more than more than uh, the most of anybody in the, at, at the trade deadline for a starter. So I, again, I understand Kenley's frustration. Hindsight's 2020. The Red Sox were getting a bunch of starters back. I think that if you, I think the real criticism are, are two things. Obviously the off season, you know, the big starting pitcher signing was Corey Kluber and he was awful. And that's like the biggest failing. If they had, either sign somebody else or, or whatever, like, and again, that's easy for me to say, but that's who you probably are looking at and saying like, that's when you needed to really make the move. But also I think the Red Sox in hindsight should have made a move for a starting pitcher earlier in like the trade deadline, like earlier in July when guys were starting to get hurt and they were running openers out there, you know, a couple times in the rotation, that would have been more of the time to do it. I just think that like, it's it's easy for a player to sit there and say, yes, we should have done these things in Monday morning quarterback when they don't have the whole story. We also don't have the whole story. Um, I also 
am not totally positive that he's right that that if they yeah they could have signed they could have traded for two starting pitchers but you just you never know what's gonna happen there's plenty of other things that have failed they failed at like yeah they could have used two starting pitchers but like what about the other three spots in the rotation where they've struggled what about not being able to score score runs with runners in scoring position what about the sort of problems that they've continued to have on defense so it's more than that um i think that there is there has been some issues in terms of guys taking accountability and again there could have been i didn't hear more of what kenley said in that conversation he could have said he could have taken more accountability i'm sure he did he's an accountable guy if things go wrong he's usually steps right up and says it but um it's frustrating to hear that comment it's frustrating to hear that as a fan um and i'm sure that other he's probably speaking for other players on the team too when he says that um but again we don't have the whole story so that's my take on on what kenley had to say what do do you think sam I fully agree. I especially think that he's probably saying it for other players on the team. He's a career. I mean, he spent over a decade in the bigs. He's on a a pending free agent contract after this, after next year. He has a unique ability to talk to the media that probably most of the roster just doesn't have. So I I absolutely agree that he's speaking for other people. Uh, Like you were saying, look at the starters that were moved at the deadline. Savale has a 79 ERA plus since the deadline. Flaherty got moved to the bullpen. Lorenzo moved to the bullpen. The key guy that everyone thought was coming to Boston was Edward Cabrera. He spent a lot of time after the deadline in AAA. Even if he moved to Boston for the alleged Justin Turner deal, he's a ground ball pitcher with sinkers. And we've seen how this defense has treated Brian Bayo and all of the ground balls that he's gotten. You're not getting this elite strikeout guy at the deadline. That just wasn't a a possibility so i think even if we had made a move for one of those guys it really wouldn't have worked out just the same as it hadn't for uh the rays the phillies and whoever i really think it's frustration and i know he i i checked this is the first time in over a decade that he's not pitching in the postseason since 2013, he has pitched in every single postseason for the Dodgers and then the Braves. So I, I I understand that he's frustrated, but I think that it's just not realistic to say that this team was one or two starters away from making it, especially looking at who is theoretically getting dealt here. Yeah. yeah. What do you th- What do you think, Brad? Yeah, uh, like Sam said, I mean, uh, bullseye. Uh, the defense is terrible, and yeah, uh, I I don't know if I can add on to that. Yeah, the pit. Yeah, the, the you could. You're only as good as your pitchers. Like have a hard time. Like they can only be sometimes as good as their as their defense is. I th- and, and I it. honestly think uh, Lou Merloni said it uh, on one of his rants a few weeks ago about. He's like, yeah, so you go out and get a starter. They're going to still have to pitch, right? You know, because yeah. because the defense. You know, you you. You blame like people like Rafi and whatnot. We've talked about it before on the podcast. It's like Rafi has had how many different shortstops he had to work mm. with this season. You know, like not saying he was terrible, but it's like I believe, and they actually said it earlier today uh, on the game on the broadcast that you know the guy to the left of him or is going to make him better next year as long as story mm. can stay. You know. Yeah. Healthy. Yeah, I think that I I um so a Jor- so Jordan Leandry, who's been on our our show, had a really good tweet yesterday where he said that Rafael Devers accounted for negative eight OAA between June and July this season. Um, that was a sixty one day period. 
that saw four different shortstops playing next to him. And that was Hernandez, Hamilton, Chang, and Reyes. So like of those Jeez. four, it's like Hernandez, awful, obviously. Hamilton, really not that good either. Chang and Reyes both like okay, but like definitely played less at there than 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 Kike, at least probably. And then since then, so so since store with story back primarily, Devers stabilized at a zero outs above average. So, and that literally just means he's been a league average third baseman with with Trevor Story playing next to him. If Trevor Story's there all next season and you have Devers there, then that like I just think like having that level of trust, the communication, the fact that that Rafi in his own mind can think about it in terms of like, okay, if a ball's hit to my left, um, and it's like kind of farther away from me, odds are Trevor's going to get to it. Like, I don't have to necessarily, it's like less of a stress on his mind that he could, that he had more stress on his mind when Kike is there. And he's like, fuck man, I'm gonna have to make more. I'm gonna have to make all the plays here. So I think that, um, Trevor story, having like a fully healthy, just a normal off season and, and getting in and like the communication with Devers and stuff, it's going to make a huge difference with Devers. If Devers can be at, if he can be average at third base, then that's such a huge thing for the Red Sox going forward. And I do think that the shortstop position being stabilized um, was is going to be a big deal for the pitchers going forward too. So, um, and then so like let's let's get into the um, I guess let's talk a little bit about the GM search and 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 what's going on with that. And then we'll talk about we'll spend the rest of our the time I, here I, talking I, about wishlist. What's I, up? I do want to say something about the series. Yeah, yeah. Go uh, so Zach Kelly made his first yeah. appearance uh, since his elbow injury. And I've talked to Zach here and there uh, throughout the time and whatnot. And I just got to say, man, I'm super pumped to see him back. Even though like it's meaningless games or whatever, it's just nice to see him back. Yeah. I, it's Zach is a great guy. That was one of the best. That was probably the best thing to come out of this whole series for the Red Sox was just, it was Zach Kelly being back out there on a big league mound after Man, that was such a scary injury earlier in the mm-hmm. season. I um, thought it was we going to be TJ. Yeah, TJ. Mm-hmm. He's already had one before, I think, right? And so, um, so thrilled for thrilled for Zach, um, and glad to see him back out there. So, um, also, yeah. uh, one more thing: uh, Bianca Smith's out in Japan now. <laughs> I guess, yeah, she, uh, she is. I totally missed this. Yeah, I got a tweet this morning from. Uh, uh, one of our co-hosts, Tim, he uh, showed that she was she took a picture with Rachel Luba uh, over in Japan. I wonder why she's over there. I don't know. It's um, well, Rachel. I think we know why Rachel Luba's over there. That's but, actually uh, who I was talking about. I was <laughs> like, I, um, I think uh, I, I think Bianca is actually playing. She's playing over there. You mean? I like, think so. Interesting. Huh. I could, I could, I was trying to go through her tweets, and I, 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 she's been in Japan for like a month and a half now. So I know that she. So the reason why she, she was offered a position back with the Red Sox, my my recollection, and she turned it down because I think she wanted to pursue like being a manager, um, and that was not maybe an oppor- that's that maybe was that's what it was. That was not an opportunity. It seemed like the Red Sox were going were going to give her in the immediate term. Um, so she ends up, maybe that's what she's doing. She's trying to, she's maybe she's even managing in the, in the, in, uh, somewhere in a Japanese, maybe that's what she's doing. So, 
good for her. Um, that is a, a strange person to get your picture taken with. Uh, but hey, whatever. Um, so, uh, yeah. Uh, so let's talk about the the GM stuff. So we um, there hasn't been a ton of pro- of public progress. There were a couple reports. I believe it was earlier this week. The first was from uh, there was one from Bob Nightingale who said that Mike Hazen is going to be staying with the Diamondbacks. He has a year left on his contract. They're work. They were not really intending to let him go, and they're apparently working out an extension. So he's not really going to be in consideration. Didn't the owners like come out and say something about that too? The 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 president, the team president, like basically the Sam the Sam Kennedy out there was just like. Yeah, you know, we have a contract like we're not really thinking about him leaving. We want him to be here. And and so Hazen never really said anything publicly about it. But I think that was all just to sort of keep his leverage so that he uh, so he's going to stay there. The other thing from Bob Nightingale was that he said that sounded like Sam wanted to say something. Oh, go ahead, Sam. Yeah. Yeah, Is the last time he got an extension also when the Red Sox fired their GM? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's funny. Like he keeps using the Red Sox as leverage to get more money from the Diamondbacks. It's pretty good for him. Good for him. And that's, he's he's probably, it's his old buddy, Sam Kennedy doing, uh, doing him a solid, I feel like. Um, So, so that's not really going to be an option. Um, The other thing in that same, nightingale it was like a uh, a notebook column or whatever it was he said that that sam fold who is the general manager of the phillies he is the sort of right hand man for dave dombrowski which is just kind of funny to think about um sam fold is under i don't i don't have the wording in front of me but basically like that he's part of the conversations he's being it's being heavily considered for to run the red sox um and so just some background on Sam Fold. He played in the big leagues for the Rays, a few other teams. He is from Durham, New Hampshire, which is uh, the same town where I went to college, the University of New Hampshire. Sam Fold's dad was actually the dean of my college. Um, and also his mother, Amanda Merrill, was my state senator. So there you go. Uh, those are my connections to Sam Fold. Um, Sam, <laughs> what's so funny? <laughs> Those are my connections. Those are my connections to <laughs> Sam Fold. He was he he grew up in a town where I I spent four years of my life. So there you go. Um, he was a Red Sox fan, and I believe and and you know ended up going to Stanford, and then um, had a really interesting career, um, and then went into front office work. People will recall that he was uh, interviewed for the managerial position after um, the 2020 season, when after Ron Renicky was let go from the interim year. Um, it seemed like the two big candidates were Fold and Cora. The Red Sox obviously ended up hiring Cora, which probably had a you know more ownership involved. Maybe maybe Bloom's choice would have been more to hire Sam Fold. It's hard to say. Sam Fold ended up staying with the Phillies, and he has been the sort of analytics right hand guy. What do you think Bloom would still be around if Fold was the manager? Maybe I don't. Uh, it's very possible, but like again, I don't Not think late. that. But I just think it was a fait accompli that. Like like Cora was getting the job, like he was ownership's choice. I don't know how much of a choice Bloom really had. What do you think, Sam? I don't I'm talking think so. about now. Yeah, well, but okay, but go yeah, go ahead, Sam. I think that the key issue with this team has primarily been the pitching, and I don't think it would have mattered even even with some of Cora's issues with bullpen right. management. I don't think it would have mattered. Well, I, so so what I I guess what uh, like my answer to the question is that it's kind of like the question is. 
I don't like think the question. I'm not saying the question's invalid. I'm just saying like I think that there was like once Cora like did his served his time, like ownership clearly loves Alex Cora, and it seems and there's probably a lot of belief out there that ownership chose Alex Cora over Hein Bloom in this instance. So that gets into the discussion about what other stuff that's going on. There haven't been other names that have been directly linked to the Red Sox. There's just been talk. There's been talk about Kim Ng, who is her contract is up with the Marlins. Brandon Gomes is a possibility. The GM there I be, in, uh, in, 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 uh, the in the Dodgers under Andrew Friedman. I think Josh Burns, his name was mentioned too, who was an assistant GM years ago for the Red Sox, um, who was, he believe he ran both the Padres and the Diamondbacks. He's now, I believe in the Dodgers front office also. Um, so we, uh, those are just names. We haven't heard anything about interviews, Big part of the reason why there haven't been interviews yet is because of a report from Jen McCaffrey, who told us that Brian O'Halloran, who had been the GM, was offered a position with the a new position with the Red Sox. It was basically I don't know what the title was like senior vice president of baseball operations, some made up title. We don't really know what that job entails. It was something I think of a of a um, like a peace offering to him just after like, cause O'Halloran's been in the organization for 22 years. So they wanted to keep him in the front office. So they gave him this new job. It took like, it took them like a week to negotiate back and forth with him to figure this out. Not only that from Jen McCaffrey, basically the Red Sox had to spend a week doing damage control in the front office after Bloom got fired because it seemed like people were not expecting it. And there was a sort of having to like calm everything down and talk about like the roles and responsibilities and the stuff that people have to do. So, They've wasted, I don't want to say they wasted a week on that, but it really does seem like this decision to fire Bloom was a bit of a snap decision. And then they've had to clean up, deal with the cleanup and the fallout of it. And I personally, I'll, I'll let you guys talk about what's going on a little bit more, but like, I personally don't think that they know who they want to hire. And um, I don't think there's a, a really much of a plan here. And it really kind of scares me. So, um, and I'll get into more of my thoughts about why I think that in a minute, but I've been talking for a while. So Sam, what's, what's your read on what's going on right now? I don't think that there's a clear plan for the, who the next general manager is. I'm not sure it, it's, it, I don't think it matters. I, any of the available candidates are solid. I mean, it, it's, unless you're a preller, it's hard to fuck up having $300 million to spend. <laughs> Dude, that is so funny because I actually pulled him up <laughs> and I'm like, I guarantee you he's going to be looking for a job by the end of the year. Yeah. I, I, if you give Kim Ng like an extra, what, $200 million for her budget, I'm sure she'd be able to find a team with a little bit better of an offense. If I, I, my personal one that I want hired is Gomes. I think he would be an excellent, like, mm-hmm. just to bring in and fix some of the pitching issues within the organization. Like, I know that they were talking about hiring the Cubs. Someone from the Cubs, I whose name Craig Breslow is. So yeah, so Craig, Craig Breslow. Breslow. There was a report from Peter Gammons that the Red Sox were considering bringing P, uh, bringing Craig Breslow, who was a member of the 2013 championship team, over. He's been he's like the director of pitching for the Cubs. They were thinking about bringing him over to the Red Sox. Peter Gammons had tweeted this. He said that Craig Breslow and his family still live in they live in the Newton area, and that they it would be under consideration. There was kind of immediately a report from a Cubs beat reporter refuting it. And I, and my whole take when I saw that initially was, I thought it was really weird that 
like they're talking about hiring it, like bringing in a new director of pitching when there is not a person that's in I, place running the baseball operations right now, like permanently. So it's like, why would they be filling out the staff before that person is hired? See, um, I completely agree. It's getting back to the point there. They don't have a plan because why would you fully and publicly commit to Alex Cora being your next manager? Why would you start talking to Craig Breslow? There's no plan. I just, I think that, yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. I, so, I just, I think whoever is brought in next is just, you're, even though it's got its issues, it's still a stock pantry. So I think it, it'll be okay no matter what. Even it's interesting. It's an interesting, it's an interesting viewpoint. What do you think, Brad? I don't know. I'm confused. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. I'm just, I, it's like we could sit here and talk about who we want, but it's like they're already. We talked on previous episodes, and Joy brought it up. She's like, they have until the world, the end of the World Series, to hire somebody, until we, until we need to start panicking, because literally that's when everything starts. Yeah. So I agree with that, that like they have time. They do have time. They don't have to hire somebody right now. But here's here's kind of where I mean, what do they got like a month? They have a month, but and like, they have nobody. So what's fascinating is that the last like few times the Red Sox have hired a head of baseball operations. They have only interviewed one person in each each time in 20 it, when they fight when when Theo Epstein left uh, the second time when he left in 2011. They didn't really interview anybody. It was kind of, you know, they Ben Charrington Charing was going to get the job. That was it, whatever. Then Dave Dombrowski becomes available in 2015. They give him the job over Charrington. There was the whole thing about was Charrington going to stay? Not whatever. So Dombrowski gets fired. The only person that they interview for the for the job ends up being Bloom. And this is after they got a few other people turned them down, like Derek Falvey turned them down and Chris Antonetti and a few other people turned them down. So it's going to be really fascinating to see if they end up interviewing more people, actually interviewing more people. This yeah, but time. Here's, here's the, here's the thing that you gotta, uh, you gotta think about. It's like, who's really going to want to come over here knowing that okay. like after four years, you're going to get canned. So this is the big, so this is the big point that I wanted to try to make. Okay. So, so on Twitter today, I posted a few things that, you know, got some, got some, uh, some, some, got some discussion going about what's happening with the search right now. So, I, I think that, Sam, you're kind of onto something before about how I just think like the way that this has gone so far is really telling me that they're going to stay internal with the hire and that Eddie Romero is probably the likeliest person to get the big job to be like he'll title will probably be something like something like senior vice president and general manager or something like that. The reason why is for a few different reasons. Number one, they have already took the, and this was a, another thing that we didn't really even talk about yet, which was that today, Alex Cora came out and said, I'm going to be here next year. Like yeah. I, basically he's been told he's the manager. Like he has the job. Like he's, he has a year left on his contract. He's going to be the manager. Like that's, that's a done deal. So whoever is coming in as the next head of baseball operations, has to live with that not now and i'm not trying to make it and i think one of the things that maybe came across or maybe people thought i meant this is i, I like want alex Carr to be fired i'm not saying that like the person that could come in could probably could and should determine that the that the per that the um the right person who's the manager is is alex Cora. fine whatever but like there's that there's the fact that we found out that you know so brian o'halloran is sticking around in a different role we found out there was another thing I believe that was in the Jen McCaffrey article, which is that both 
Eddie Romero and Raquel Ferreira are on multi-year contracts, which right. I find really interesting that they're on, they were on had longer contracts and more job security than like Heim Bloom did because Bloom had had a contract through the end of next year. So the thing that I'm concerned about is that I think that Sam Kennedy is he's the person that's driving this whole thing. Like he's, he's figuring out who is going to, who's going to be the one coming in. I think Sam Kennedy was the one who really pushed for Bloom to get fired. Um, he kind of is just going with the wind with like going whatever way the wind blows. Sam Kennedy is obviously very close with Alex Cora. Like that is very clear to me that, that he is, that Cora is like his guy. Sam Kennedy also has worked in the Red Sox sort of front office, like whatever you want to call it with people like Brian O'Halloran and Eddie Romero and Raquel Ferreira and Mike Rickard and Ben Crockett and Paul Taboni and Gus Quattlebaum. And I could keep listing all of these names of all these people that have been there since Theo was in, since Theo was like hired in 2002. There's this whole cabal of people that have all been, that have all been here this whole entire time. So who is Sam Kennedy loyal to? He is very clearly loyal to those people. So though, and those people are going to be here no matter what. They could go out and hire Brandon Gomes. They could go out and hire Sam Fold. They could hire Kimming. That whole group of people who are I don't, and I'm not trying to denigrate those people. Like they're very talented. They all have World Series rings and a great, great track records to prove it. Like I'm not trying to knock any of those people. But there's very clear that Sam Kennedy has a circle of trust. And Heim Bloom was brought in from the outside, and he never really broke that circle of trust. Clearly. And 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 Sam Kennedy and the other people in ownership listen to other people. So I think about what is the what's the best situation here? Like, what's the best outcome for the front office is the best outcome for the front office. Somebody else who's going to come in and be the next Bloom, be the next be like Sam Fold. OK, so like they hire Sam Fold. I would be really confused if they did that. How did how does Sam Kennedy? How does John Henry, Tom Warner, how do any of them know that Sam Fold can come in and do any of a better job than Heim than Heim Bloom did or Heim Bloom would do? We have no idea because he's never run a front office, but at least Heim Bloom has and he knows the Red Sox. So I think that 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 would be I think that would be a bad decision to bring in somebody from the outside into this situation. If who Sam Kennedy trusts is Eddie Romero and Alex Cora and Raquel Ferreira and Mike Rickard and all of them, let them run the show. Let them be in charge. Give Eddie Romero the title. Let that group sink or swim with them. My concern about why they're not going to do that is because Sam Kennedy doesn't want to turn around and scapegoat Eddie Romero, who's in his circle of trust in four years. He'd rather it be somebody else. So this is my concern and why I'm concerned about what's going on here, because I don't think that I don't think that the best interests of the Red Sox franchise are being considered. I think the best interests of Sam Kennedy and his buddies in the front office and the people that he trusts are what's being considered best in this situation. Damn, Jake. <laughs> That's my take. That's a point of view. No, I mean it's it is true, and I I I wouldn't read too much into Eddie Romero and Raquel having longer contracts. I think with Raquel being heavily pursued by the Mets last year, she probably got a contract extension. And my main concern with hiring Eddie Romero would be: Can you fire Eddie Romero if it goes poorly? Can you get that's, rid of that level of talent? Well, that's the that's the concern. But it's just like I'm I my concern is that you bring somebody else in from the outside, like what happened with Bloom and maybe they're going to be feel undermined because 
these other people in the front office have a better relationship with the team president and CEO. I'm, like, I'm sure I'm you're not the only person to think that. And that's a, that's a hell of a way to look at it. And yeah, I agree with you when you put it like that. <laughs> I mean, I could be totally, you know, it could be a situation where it, where uh, it didn't work with like, I just think it's still, I still think it's so weird the way that the hiring went in the front office after Bloom came here. Like, he never hired anybody from Tampa. Like nobody ever came over from Tampa. They brought in, he brought in one assistant GM from outside the organization and Mike Groupman. And he came from Milwaukee. Like they, they didn't hire, they, they hired people from other places. They hired people from driveline, like player development people and stuff like that. But I don't know that anybody that was like in the Tampa, like, like infrastructure ever came over in four years. What, like, why is that? Did, did nobody want to work for Haim or was it that he wasn't allowed to like, or did he have a deal with Tampa where he couldn't take anybody? I don't know. I still think that's strange that he never like hired anybody from, from, from Tampa. Especially within the coaching department. I, I don't understand that at all. I, I, the entire tenure. So the first two years, I think you have like a transitional period where you can't hire anyone. Right. After that, I don't understand the excuse for not bringing anyone in from the Rays organization to be any sort of level in the pitching organization, like or pitching development team. It makes no sense to me. I completely agree. I know uh, there was something in his contract when he was hired. I don't know if it was like one year or two years or whatever. He wasn't allowed to like poach uh, for Tampa, but I didn't, I didn't realize nobody from Tampa Bay came over. I know. I can't think of anyone. Yeah. Groupin did. And I think it was last year, but he came from, but he came from Milwaukee. Like it was so, and then, and so the other thing that I'm concerned about is that, um, you know, Cora is, is being left in, you know, obviously as the manager, what's going to happen with the coaching staff? Like, I think that everybody agrees that this team needs, there needs to be shakeups in the coaching staff. Like, yes. I don't know how you can bring Dave Bush back. I don't know how you can bring Carlos Fabulous back. I don't know how I, you know, I, I think Pete Fatsy might even be in trouble. Like, I think that like, I don't know how you can keep bringing those, bringing the same people back, but like Cora is going to want to have final say on who's on his coaching staff. So you would need buy-in from him to get rid of these people. And again, he's, we're talking about loyalty, like circle of trust. Like Dave Bush has been there for a while. Carlos Fabulous has been in the Red Sox organization for like 15 years. Like it, it's, I, that's what concerns me is that people, and it gets back to what the thing, something I said this afternoon, which is that I feel like the message from ownership and then the part and parcel with this convert, with this comment from Kenley Jansen today, they want you to believe that Heim was the problem. That, that the problems with the Boston Red Sox, all of the issues, the reason why they've been in last place three of the last four years, it's all because of Heim. And we got rid of him. Like, he's out the pick, he's out of the door. He's out the picture. So everything's going to be great now because we got rid of the guy that we're blaming for all the fuck-ups of the last four years. Meanwhile, they don't have a plan for what they're doing. Sam Kennedy and, and, his, and his, his, his buddies and his friends are running, are running everything now. And they're either going to allow that group to sink or swim, or they're going to bring in the next person who's going to be the scapegoat in four years. And then they, and then when things fail again, they can point once again to that person and say, it's that person's fault. It was Kimming's fault. It was Brandon Gomes's fault. It was Sam Fold's fault. They would rather have a scapegoat, the ownership, than own up to the, their own fuck-ups and mistakes the last four years. And you want to go back to the Dombrowski era and allowing him to do what he did 
all of that stuff. And this is not me saying that Heim didn't make any mistakes. He made plenty of mistakes. But they want you to believe the, the message out of the ownership group the last two weeks is Heim was the problem. We got rid of the problem. So trust us to fix it when they haven't fixed fucking shit in five years. And they clearly don't have a plan to do anything to fix it. I mean, it. you are exactly right. And it is brutal to see unfold as a Red Sox fan. It's, you're it's, you're it's, stunned, it's, Brad. I, I, I've never seen you like this. So I'm fired like, up. Like, this is my team. And I just, think, I just think, like, it, nobody wants to be accountable. The only person who's been held accountable is Heim. When does everybody else get held accountable? No, exactly. It hasn't happened. I mean, this isn't all Heim's fault. I mean, did he make some fucking terrible decisions? Absolutely. But I mean, like, everything, not all of this is his fault. Corb fucked up. Fable is fucked up. Ownership is fucked up. But ownership has been fucking up since they've been owners, you know? I and, mean, right. Like, and and they skate. Like, and look I, what they, they did they, with Sherrington. Right. They fucked him over. They brought Dave Dombrowski in. They made Sherrington quit. Then uh, Dombrowski came in and just went and spent all this money. You know, and, and people sit here and shit on him for the uh, for the minor league, and it's not even the minor league that like irritates me about him. It was the terrible contracts that he uh, he gave out. Right, exactly. You know, like, and then I, and I, then, right. I I'm go I'm gonna say this right now before you know Ryan Brady comes and attacks <laughs> me for this, yeah. but like I am not talking shit about Dombrowski at all. I actually have told these guys beforehand that I want Dave Dombrowski to come back just for Ryan Brady. <laughs> Yeah. Well, like, but like my, my whole thing is like, yes, like they messed like some of those, those are obviously bad contracts. The sale contract was the, you know, it was terrible and um, not necessarily, and you know, the, the price contract <coughs> worked until it didn't and they had to attach it to Mookie to get him out of there. I guess that my whole thing was that like under Dombrowski, they were allowed to have, the team was allowed to have like a top five payroll every year. They had the, the highest payroll in baseball in 2018 and 2019. And then Bloom comes in and he's not allowed to have payrolls that high relative to other teams. Like this year, the Red Sox were right under the tax line, but they're like in the 10 to 15 range in terms of payroll. They were never in a 10 to 15 range in payroll when Dombrowski was here. And the team had clear, obvious flaws. Like, yeah, going and, and this a lot of this goes back to Bloom being having the team be over the luxury tax last year, which was a huge mistake. It was his number one mistake in, in four, in four years here was being over the tax. Cause it meant that they couldn't go over this year potentially to, whoa, to whoa, address whoa. some of the issues. Whoa. His biggest mistake. Come on. You know what his biggest mistake is. No, I but, to everybody else. Well, the bets trade, but yeah, fine, whatever. But no, I, I firmly believe that the Red Sox being over the collective bargaining tax in 2022 was Bloom's single biggest mistake. And it's probably yes. the biggest reason why he doesn't have a job anymore. Because because they were not able to go, they couldn't go over the tax this year to go out and sign, and they, and they couldn't give up draft picks because they would have been, they would have had to give up two draft picks to sign like Chris Bassett or somebody like that who would have made a huge difference this year for this team. Um, but anyway, um, so let's talk about what. <laughs> so now that I'm done uh, ranting about what's happening with the front office. <laughs> Um, let's talk about who we want the Red Sox to get this off season. Like, let's talk about wish lists. Like what are the big needs? Um, and like, let's talk specific names of who we want to see them acquire. I think like we all agree that the biggest need is that they need starting. They need actual bona fide starting pitching. Like it's just very clear. Um, Sam, what's like, what's on your wish list this off season for the Red Sox? So, I mean, everyone, everyone knows the biggest fish is Shohei. I, I don't think that that's going to happen. Probably. 
I the number one player that I want, obviously Sans Shohei, is Yoshinobu Yamamoto. I think, especially with the emergence of Kodai Senga this past year, I think he has potential to be a really like generational type pitcher. I, Senga came over to MLB, had very little issues transitioning from that uh, six-day rotation to the five-day rotation. And now you have a guy who's younger, considered to be in the tier above Senga, and is coming over at like 25, potentially into an... Uh, organization that would have a new pitching coach that's not dave bush so i think that the combination of all those factors could create for a really exciting potential ace front line of the rotation guy that the red sox have needed for years yeah go ahead brad like what's what's i mean i'm gonna say yamamoto as well yeah but if if i have to pick somebody else i'm gonna go with snell okay so I definitely have, I think Snell has pitched a lot better recently and especially he's, he's gone on this like pretty incredible, um, you know, this pretty incredible Cy Young push in the national league. And he seems like he's definitely going to win it. Um, you know, if four one one eighty two ERA plus this year is pretty incredible, but I just, you can't ignore the fact that he is also leading the national league in walks. Um, he has 99 that he's allowed this year. It's the league lead. He also is get the league lead in hits per nine. Um, and his batting average on balls in play this year is 256. So like he's gotten lucky. He's basically been, I will, here's a comparison. Martin Perez is the pitching. Well, yeah, I would say he's the pitching 2022 is the, for him or 2023 for him is the pitching version of 2023 Xander Bogarts, his teammate, where it's like, he's, putting up like the numbers are kind of fool's gold a little bit um i you know beggars can't be choosers um remember when last year martin perez was like the best pitcher in all of baseball yeah and then this (laughs) year god it was terrible yeah it was amazing i like snell i think if you're you want it he's got 180 innings this year like that's a reason to get him but i just think if he's your number one pitching acquisition like that's kind of that's iffy to me especially You'll have Yamamoto's get... definitely my number one. Yeah, well, I'm saying like if you don't get Yamamoto, like if Snell is like the number one guy you bring over, like that concerns me. But I, I think we all agree like Yamamoto is the guy. I'm not in, but I'm not in the campaign, the camp of like you have to get him in the or the offseason's a failure because again, you have like all of these different factors. We don't know if he wants to be on the East Coast. Is he going to feel like he's he's overshadowing Yoshida or Yoshida is overshadowing him there's like talk about that that the some of the times the Japanese players don't like to they don't like to overshadow each other if they're in the same market who knows if that's like a really a thing um I I think that but he's the number one guy and if you can if it's just takes all it's going to take is money to get him he's going to be 26 like you're going to get probably his best years there certainly are adjustments for pitchers coming over from there. A lot of pitchers that have come over from Japan have not been great for longer than a year or two. Um, but Otani. true, but uh, and then again, like guys as young as, uh, as Yamamoto don't really come over very often. So I think that he, he's got to be the number one offseason target. And I'm, I have to imagine he's going to be, and then other pitchers, a lot of you know, there's good names out there. Um, Sonny Gray is one. Um, Aaron he Nola. Can't pitch, he can't pitch in the uh, uh, 
in the big market though. I think that is a concern. If and if I'm Sonny Gray, maybe maybe Boston, if they come calling, I'm like, eh, I don't think so. Um, you know, he's like he's kind of you know he's like a Tennessee guy anyway. Like he might be better off in a smaller market. You know, I, in the, somewhere. I don't know if small market versus big market is as big a concern as what just happened with Corey Kluber. Sonny Gray is what like 36. I mean, we. I just don't think saw... he's that old. Is he that old? I I think he's 36. Let's see. I'm looking at him right now. He's 30. He he turns 34 in 34. So he's not somebody that you're going to give like. He's been around for a while, so I get it, Sam. Yeah, yeah. He's not gonna. You're not gonna give him like a five year deal or anything like that. And he's no. He's coming off a really good year. Um, I would just be concerned with the Red Sox. I I their pitching like development is obviously not to the same level as everyone else. If they don't help your pitching and you continue to age and you continue to regress are they going to dump you onto the 60 day il and just right. say goodbye like they did with kluber <laughs> right i mean it, it's that yeah. really is a legitimate concern for these guys i i don't know if the small market versus big market especially as he's gotten to this point where he's he he's his team won the division. Can you really say that he's not performing better than he has before? I don't know. I, I would be more concerned about the Corey Kluber thing than the big market, small market thing. That's fair. I totally think that's fair. I, I would just say that like, you know, uh, older pitcher, like, yeah, guy that's going to be 34 is maybe not who you want to try to go after. I, I think clearly though, the Red Sox goal is to, is to be in the postseason next year and so we may see more sort of higher dollar, but lower, you know, lower contract commitment type deals um, to try to accomplish that goal. And, and I think that they need to, um, you know, that's the type of guy that they should consider. So we mentioned, you, no, go ahead. Do you think that Erod uh, opts out? That's exactly what I was just going to Probably happen. yes. And I do think that he could be under consideration. I mean, he's had a good year this year. Maybe he wants to come back to Boston. You don't have to give him the quali. He, he wouldn't get the qualifying offer, excuse me, which is a, which helps a lot. Um, you know, the Red Sox, thank you. And again, thank you to Eduardo Rodriguez for, for leaving and the Red Sox getting the draft pick that turned into um, Roman Anthony. Well, Kind of, yeah, yeah. That was the that was the yeah. Roman Anthony pick, um, right? Because he he ended up he left, and that was uh, that was the pick. So uh, thank you, Erod, for for gifting us Roman Anthony. But it would be anyway. extremely funny if he signed back here, so we just got Roman Anthony for free, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like he's had two kind of nothing years there. He's thrown 145 innings this year. He's obviously a guy that can handle pitching in Boston. Um, he's only going to be he's going to be 31 next year. Like I would definitely be exploring that if i was the red sox i would if you if you told me like the off season is they signed yamamoto and erod like sign me up like and then you you <laughs> you you have him with him with bayo and and crawford and sale if he's healthy and you roll with that like that's not oh, I'm so that's tired of sale I know. So that's another question is, what I'm you, so tired. And like, what do you do uh, with Chris Dale? Like if a team comes to you and I'm says, pissed off at the fact that that, that thing came out with the Rangers yeah. and bloom. And it's like, I, I get it. Like, even if bloom was like, cool. Yeah. We'll trade a sale still has that no opt out clause. So he still has say he, he can either say yay or nay, but it's just like the fact that there was an opportunity. It's just like, Fuck, we could have gotten rid of that contract. 
I know. And then that's a whole other thing. Again, you go back to they would have had more money to play with this past offseason. They would have gotten under the tax last year. Like there's I feel like there's more to that story. Um, there in general. has to be, you know, just in terms of what was coming back. Like I know that like the report initial reporting was that there was that it was a haggle over the prospects coming back. But I I think that. Maybe I don't was, even think it was, was prospects. Yeah, right. Just... I think Carabas later was like, no, it wasn't like prospects. Like there may have been like other bad like major league players. Coming I, I don't. Back I don't even like... care. I don't care. Put no, on the I'm, I'm with you because if you could have gotten out from under that contract, that's a huge. You know, that's a huge plus for that would have been a huge plus for the Red Sox. But again, I feel like there's got to be more to it. And maybe again, maybe Sale says no, I'm not going there. I can't imagine that he would said no to going to Texas, but like. Maybe he said, no. I mean, he's got young kids like he and he has the right to dictate where he wants to go. So um, but this offseason I mean, will be interesting. Erod said no to the Dodgers. Exactly. <laughs> these guys, they get these they get their right to play where they want to, whether it's as free agents or they get clauses written into their contracts or they get 10 five rights. And they have you know, they work their whole lives to get to do this and they work their whole and like this is something that people miss out on. They don't really think about, which is the fact that you work your entire life to get to play baseball. You toil like a lot of guys toil in the minors. They ride the buses. They, they do all this stuff and then they get to the big leagues, but then they don't get to decide where they want where they want to play until they get to be, they have to play for six years in the big leagues before they can make that decision. And so when they make, when they get that decision, it's, this is why I get like when people are really mad about like, why didn't the Red Sox sign this guy or why didn't they do this? Like whatever, like there are, and I'm going to talk about this, like, you know, I'll probably talk about this on beyond the monster and a few other, and other places, like as the off season goes on, like there's so many factors beyond money that are, are that uh, enter into free agent decisions. And a lot of it has to do, it can do with, it also has to do with taxes. A lot of it has to do with family. A lot of it has to do with, I have a relationship with the hitting coach here, whatever. Like that was the whole thing about like why Kyle Schwarber ended up with the Phillies because he had a relationship with the hitting coach. Like, um, that worked then, out. Yeah, exactly. And, and like, I just think like there are things there are fact and like this whole, it came up because of, cause Zach Eflin pitched, you know, pitched in this, the series, like against the Red Sox or, or the Red or Zach Eflin was here, like about the fact that the money was the same between the Red Sox and Rays. And he was able to leverage the Red Sox offer into getting that raise offer so that he could go home to Florida and ultimately make more money because there's because there's no state income tax in Florida. But also, like there were family considerations there, like he wanted to have like there were child care. He talked to Alex Spira about this, I think, a few months ago, which was like, yeah, like my whole child care thing played a huge factor in in me deciding to stay in Tampa. And it's like. So that's clearly a family decision. Like it's not all just, it's not just up to the, it's not just up to the player himself, like where he wants to play. So these are all things to think about as we get into free agency and, and that. So we've talked about pitching. Let's talk a little bit about offense. Like the, the lineup is in pretty good shape, but there's a big question about what happens with just with Justin Turner. I think that's the biggest question is he almost certainly is going to opt out. He would be leaving a lot of money on the table, um, by opting in if he opts out he gets six and six point seven million dollars just for doing just just for opting out and then he can make whatever contract he's going to make on top of that um and that leaves a big hole in the red sox lineup if he leaves because they're going to have to find right-handed power somewhere else maybe the answer is you move yoshida to being a most of the time dh and you go and either sign a right-handed bat or like a tioscar hernandez or somebody like that or trade for a right-handed bat in the outfield that can 
replace that pop and you're really going to need it, especially also if Adam Duvall leaves. So, um, and there's, I think that there's like cascading impact of, of Turner leaving, like in terms of like, does Alex Verdugo get traded? Are you comfortable with Will or Abreu in the outfield? What's Jaron Duran's role? Where does, where's Sedan Raphael going to play next year? What are you going to do with second base? So, um, I'm just curious about your guys' thoughts. Like if, if, if Justin Turner is not here, first of all, I guess I'd ask the question is, do you, to both of you, like, do you want Justin Turner back? Uh, duh. Okay. <laughs> Sam, what do you think? I want him back. I'm not sure at the expense of some of the guys who are available on the market. So like, I know like who? Like Reese Hoskins is the one that I think okay. is interesting. I know yeah. he's coming off the torn UCL, but I think Hoskins is just, the bat is so much better. I, the character and the clubhouse leadership that Turner brings does make an impact that obviously you can't put down from the box score. But I I really am interested in Reese Hoskins, especially because I have no idea what that contract would look like. Yeah, I think that the Riz Hoskins contract would probably be because, like, how old is he going to be? Like, because he might just be looking for, like, hey, where where can I go that I can get a year? And so he's going to be, so he's only going to be 31, 31. He turns 31 in, in May. So he might be looking at a situation where he's like, okay, like I could probably make a pretty decent payday if I'm, if I go out and have a good year because I, he'll only, he'll be a, go back to the market and be like 32. It'd be like similar to March. Right. Okay, so March he turns he turns so he'll be thir- he'll be thirty one for the entirety of next season. So he could say to himself, okay, like I could go back to the market at thirty two, and get something similar to like a Mitch Haniger contract or something like that. Um, I could see him taking a year and an option. Maybe it's like a year. Like um, how much did he make this year? He made twelve million dollars this year. Um, so he could say like, give me a year and ten million with some incentives, and kind of see what happens. I think it would. I think that would make a lot of sense to the Red Sox. Like he could play, he could, you know, split time at first base with play more play with Casas there. He's played some outfield, but it's been a while. And I don't know how much you want to push him out there after, you know, tearing his ACL. Um, but I like him as an option. I think like, I think the Red Sox could certainly swing for the fence in terms of a trade. Like they could go, they could ask the White Sox about Luis Robert or, um, or Eloy Jimenez potentially, who's been a favorite of mine for a while, even though he can't stay healthy. Um, you know, he's a guy that hits the ball really hard and is is would I think work really well at Fenway. And then you know, <coughs> excuse me, maybe there's names outside the box that we're not even really thinking of in terms of like right right handed power. I feel like because like you could go into next season where your five outfielder, like let's say you trade Verdugo, like maybe he's part of a trade for a pitcher. You could have, go into next season where the outfield is like Abreu. Rafaela, Ref Snyder, Yoshida, and Duran. I just don't know that that's enough offense, unless you think like Willier Abreu is going to like make a huge leap next year, which he certainly could. Um, but like that's at least an interesting outfield. I think defensively you're pretty good. Um, and if if Turner leaves, you have the op the opportunity to um use Yoshida at DH more, keep him rested during the season. I think that um, I think that <coughs> it's not a bad situation to go into next season with a lot of spots on the diamond being settled. I think a que- one question is, what do they do at second base? Um, like Brad, have you given any thought to second base for next year? I I know they were talking about uh, Sedan um, yeah. playing at second. Um, I don't I don't know who 
would take that place, honestly. Um, I figure he'd be more of an outfielder. Um, yeah. But, I mean, it's it's hard to imagine, like, didn't Cora say that they were going to have him playing second base for the, most of the rest of the year, like a month ago? And he hasn't really. You know, he's, he's and I, like, I don't know if he's actually played a like inning a at second. He, he did. He played. He played. He started one game at second. I thought over the weekend. Um, but that's how much I'm paying attention. <laughs> but that's like. But that's. But you're right. Like they. That and this feels like this happens a lot, where they say something's going to happen or someone's going to play someplace, and then they kind of don't end up really playing there. Um, I kind of think that like if you go into next season and you say Rafaela is like a super utility guy, like that is fine with me. Um, keeping him as like the everyday second baseman feels like kind of a waste of his defensive ability, unless you usually like, are going to have an elite center fielder, uh, in somewhere other spot. And I don't really like, if you look at who else is on the roster, it's like Jaron Duran, I don't think is an elite center fielder. Like he's a competent center fielder. Um, but like, you know, and I think Abreu could play a competent center field, but like Rafaela has an ability to like transform your outfield. Uh, that's how good he is. Uh, out there so so sam what do you think like it, it, there are internal options for second base urias is one of them reyes is one of them obviously they have emmanuel valdez who's not very good defensively and hamilton is a bit limited there too what's your thought about second base next year i'm not sure david hamilton makes it through the offseason on our 40 man i don't think that there's any chance rafaela starts our as second base next year I mean, he might get a few reps. I would rather just have Story start at second and have Rafaela play short. I know you just mm-hmm. had that whole yeah. six-month period where you missed Story because of the reconstructive surgery on his elbow. It doesn't make any sense to waste Rafaela because you want Story to play short. Even I, I don't think that Rafaela is that much worse of a defender at short. If you're going to play him in the infield, you might as well have him play the primary primary secondary position i don't know yeah it it, like you said the impact of his glove in the outfield would matter just so much more i i don't understand why they would even consider having him at second especially when you have luis urias who's not great defensively or offensively but fine enough to play second base i mean it it's it is second base it's not it's not center field it's not shortstop it you can have a guy like urias there whereas i would not want rafaela there i think if you if you adequately replace if turner leaves and you adequately replace his bat some somehow i think i could live with the idea that your second baseman doesn't have to have doesn't have to be a huge offensive contributor um and then yeah. If it if it's like Pablo Reyes who's batting like 260, 270 and is providing above average defense, that's totally fine. I agree. I think that you can get by with that. Um, but then yeah, the question is like who is gonna be that sort of replacement right-handed bat uh in the lineup? And yeah, we talked about you mentioned Riz Hoskins. I, I I mean if they go out and get say Oscar Hernandez, it would be great. I don't know that in one offseason, you're going to go and add like two starting pitchers via free agency and go out and sign Teoscar Hernandez. Um, Feels like you know, you're you... going to have to make a trade. Yeah. And I think that, so that's the other thing is like the, I think again, part of the impetus it seems like for firing bloom was that he was too stingy when it came to making trades and that presumably whoever's the next person that comes in is going to be more willing to do that. And I think that if you could, you know, <clears throat> give up pieces for, 
give up pieces in a trade to bring in a hitter. I think that makes sense if they have sort of term on their contract. One thing on the pitching side that I keep coming back to and thinking is that, yes, like the Red Sox clearly want to be good next year. And they clearly want to try to have a, they want to try to have a representative pitching staff because they really need it. Um, And they need to have, they need to go into next season with like, you know, at least probably four fifths of the starting rotation. Like you're, you're, you're locked down if those guys are healthy. Um, I think a thing to keep in mind is that the, the free, as things stand right now, the free agent market for starting pitching for next off season is really strong. And it is um, the Red Sox as a team with, with, with a team of means and having the money to be able to spend should keep their powder dry to a certain degree it, to be able to spend in that market next off season and going out because the names, not the names are crazy. It's Brandon Woodruff and uh, Corbin Burns, Justin Chris Sale, <laughs> Chris Sale. Uh, I almost said just, I almost said Justin Bieber, Shane Bieber, um, Max Freed, Walker Bueller. Um, I believe Zach Wheeler is a free agent. I believe Zach Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole could be a free agent after next year, yep. although the Yankees have the right to pick up the last year of his of the his last option year and negate the, the opt out. Um, you know, it's it's a it's a really you know impressive free agent class, and I think that the Red Sox shouldn't do anything to keep them to keep themselves out of that that market. And I and I I, I don't think they will because again, you have the the big sale contract coming off the books after next year, so. It's just something to keep in mind. Like they could, they could make some add some add, add one big starting pitcher this off season, but also think about having an eye towards next off season when there's going to be more options. And so I don't know if it like in, there might be some instance where they could like potentially overpay for somebody this year just in the name of like we have to get back in the playoffs next year. Uh, we have to have, be back in the playoffs in 2024, and they like make a bad decision that's going to hurt them. Um, so. I wonder I wonder if they were consider trading for like a Corbin Burns where that relationship has clearly been soured between yeah. them and the Brewers. I don't think you could get the whole value of the Corbin Burns even on a one-year deal mm-hmm. because like everyone knows he's not signing back there. They're looking right. to get something back for him. I really I I wonder if that's something they'll explore. I agree like if I'm the if I'm the Brewers, you have to look at the the long-term situation there and you have two guys who are both up as free agents after next year. And there's, there's, I agree that there's zero chance that Corbin Burns is staying there. Like he just, that relationship, that ship sailed, like he was very pissed about what happened in arbitration last year. And like, they're not a team that other than like Christian Yelich, like they haven't really paid a lot or Ryan Braun, like way back in the day, they haven't really like paid guys big time. So Odds of them keeping both Woodruff and Burns long term very slim, and because of the fact that Burns is younger and I think is clearly not going to stay, that tells me that he would be the one that that you could get in a trade. And I would, and I think that the Red Sox can and should explore that um, this off season. Um, it, it feels I, I forgot where I heard it or read it or whatever it is, but um. <clears throat> Someone mentioned like a Verdugo trade uh, bundled up with maybe a couple prospects or whoever else uh, to the Brewers for uh, Burns. Yeah, I just I don't know that the Brewers have a lot of use for Alex Verdugo. 
like because of the fact that they have Yelich, they have Jackson Cheerio coming, like they have self self Freelick. Like I don't, Fair enough. I, don't, I don't know much about the Brewers. So. People have I've heard people say that. I mean, it could be a thing where you and so Alex Verdugo, I think, has a lot of trade value on this trade market because of the fact that the the he has a year left on his on his you know before he would be a free agent and this off season's outfield class for free agents is pretty bad. I mean, it's bad when like. Adam Duvall is maybe like the fourth or fifth best guy on the free agent market for outfielders. Like it's, it's like Hernandez, um, Cody Bellinger, um, like Lourdes Goriel, and like, and like Kevin Kiermeyer and like Adam or uh, Adam Duvall. Like that's the, that's like your top five. So that tells me that if a team has a need in the outfield, like at, uh, Alex Verdugo would have a market and, so that would make so I think I think we kind of maybe all agree that Verdugo is probably on the way out like this offseason. Like I think that Willier Abreu's emergence has definitely made Alex Verdugo very expendable. What do you think, Sam? I don't think that there's any chance he's on the roster starting next year. I just I don't think you will get a lot for him because it's kind of the similar situation where the relationship has kind of soured a bit. Core has called him out publicly. The mm-hmm. front office has like clearly had some issues with him. I, like the whole 40 minute conversation on the field with Haim, that is still kind of weird. Um, I really don't know what kind of return you would get for one year of Alex Verdugo. I think it would be closer to like a Franchi Cordero and yeah. insert re- long reliever here than anything of like Corbin Burns notoriety. Yeah. 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 All right. Bundle up. Yeah. It's going to be an interesting off season. It's going to be a long winter. Yeah, here yeah. And but it should be uh we'll see if you know, I think the first domino to fall should hopefully be this front office thing. Um and then, you know, we'll get into the uh get into the hot stove season. So it should be fun. Um anything else uh either of you wanna talk about? We're at the hour ten mark here, so it's probably a good time to think about wrapping things up. Congrats, Tito, on retirement. Yeah, congrats yes. to Tito Francona. Incredible career in baseball, baseball lifer. Uh thrilled for him it'd be and, awesome if he would be able to come back to the red sox but it, that's not happening feels like that ship kind of sailed uh but yeah we'll see they did him dirty yeah not only did they do, do him dirty they hired bobby valentine afterwards yeah no kidding so weird uh and that Terrible. was that was that whole thing sucked but he was kind of you know frank Ono was made a bit of a scapegoat which is i think still sticks in his craw all these years later what else do the owners do that's what they do yeah i hear you all right well thanks sam for for coming on it was great to have you back on and uh thank you brad for having me host this midweek edition and thanks for listening uh weekend crew will be back and then next week i'll mention this if you're still listening we have our uh minor final minor league show which will be monday of next week um you should listen to that uh and if if you go on twitter you'll see we've uh, published a poll for the new um for the uh the awards for the for uh the minor league uh season in 2023 so take a look 
let us know your votes and we will uh, be picking the winners uh, when we record on Monday of next week. And then you'll hear that episode later uh, at probably, I probably on, on Tuesday. Cause there, I don't think there'll be like a, or maybe Wednesday. We'll see. Uh, I think we'll, we'll probably drop it Wednesday. Seeming as though that's the same. That's day. when we do it. That's this, the same day, the same week, the, the same day of the week. We always do it anyway. So, right. All right. So for Sam and Brad, the pod father, uh, my name is Jake. Thanks for watching the Pesky Report, and we will see you listening. Next time. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Pesky Report. We've and done this before. <laughs> you can watch me. You can watch. You can. You can watch it too. You can just stare at your phone and watch and and watch the time go by. Um, we will see you next time. Thanks for watching and listening. <laughs>